Benjamin and Azria Becker were the first couple that really modeled to me what Sacred Union was all about. They are just now releasing a book called Becoming, which shows us all of their deep embodied wisdom about relationships, sexuality, psychedelics, and just how to think about life and success in general. This is a beautiful conversations with two dear people, Benjamin and Azria Becker. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Inside Tracker. So as many of you know, I founded a company called Onnit based upon total human optimization. And so many of the tools that we have are beneficial to bring you to an optimal state of performance. But one of the challenges with that is sometimes you need quantification. Sometimes you need to understand what specifically you need to work on. And to do that, you need some support. And one of the best services to come about is called Inside Tracker. Our good friend Andrew Huberman backs them and supports them. They really go through a comprehensive analysis of not only your blood work, but your lifestyle and everything that's going on to give you a clear view and some recommendations on how to bring you to an optimal state of performance. So I encourage you guys to check it out. It was founded by a bunch of top leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. They have algorithms that analyze your body's data. There's some really strong science-backed recommendations for your diet, lifestyle changes. It's really customized, bespoke advice and can be really valuable. So if you're interested, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Go to insidetracker.com backslash AMP. Once again, insidetracker.com slash AMP for 25% off. And lastly, we have Onnit. Now, everybody's heard me talk about Onnit. Why? Because I created Onnit largely as a solution to everything that I've wanted to have available for my own life. So it's just expanding the toolbox of all of the tools that are available. I actually had somebody ask me recently, they're saying, what do you do with all of the different supplements and biohacking techniques and everything that you're aware of? How do you fit it all in? And my explanation was really, look, I've spent the time to get familiar with all of the different tools, all of the different supplements, all of the foods, all of the practices, and I don't do everything every single day. That would be crazy. But I know which tool to apply to which situation to bring out the total human optimization that I'm looking for in that given moment. So that's how I do it. And on it is a huge indelible part of this process for me. And I know it will be for you. So check out everything we have on it.com slash Aubrey for 10% off always. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Benjamin and Azria Becker. Benjamin, Azria. Yes. I love looking across the table and seeing people that I know so well, because then I know that I can get deep. <laughs> I can crawl inside, deep on the insides here and figure things out together, which I'm really excited to do. And I wanted to start with a quote that you have early on in your book. And it's a quote, it's a quote from Glennon Doyle. And the quote is, we are alive only to the degree to which we are willing to be annihilated those are some powerful words mm -hmm. why did you guys choose to put those words at the start of your book 
Well, I I mean, when we read her book, Untamed, it was a, the, the way that she shared her story was so descriptive and so like up close and personal, like you're, you're there with her in the moment. And I think that book came to us right as we were starting to really go into another significant rewrite on our book. And what we discovered in our journey of this book, which we rewrote four times, and your feedback largely influenced um, one of the bigger rewrites. But what we really learned was the distinction between showing and telling mm -hmm. from a linguistic perspective. So showing is like, you know, my heart is racing and I'm, I'm in this, I'm, I'm, I'm sweat is beat is, is beating on my forehead. And, you know, I, I reach for the doorknob and I turn it around and I walk through the door and I see the thing. Right. So you, that's the kind of descriptive language that really brings someone into the present moment with the character, which is much more interesting. And then telling is like much more removed. Right. So he was a little bit nervous and he walked up to the door and he opened the door and he walked through. So it's, it's, there's a very different kind of For energetic sure. right and, and one we'll, is much more vulnerable one is exactly one is much more vulnerable and so her book was a really beautiful example of showing language while also still weaving like powerful concepts that were more universal that could apply to other people um, throughout and so I think that was a, a source of inspiration for the rewrite because our book was more heavy, heavy, heavy on the telling and it felt like we were telling a lot of stories about our life but we weren't creating the emotional impact that we knew was available there. So that was one reason. And then the quote itself, you know, I just I love the way it's worded and it really mm -hmm. encompasses so much of what draws us, and I'll speak for both of us because I think, I think that's okay. Because you always do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what draws us to the, the work we do, which is really deep transformational work, shamanic work, all of which is in service to being more alive and all of which requires us to annihilate and let die the parts of ourselves that are no longer serving the version that we are becoming. So those that quote perfectly summarized the whole spectrum, I think, of what it is that we are most excited about and, and passionate about in our work. Yeah. I think another yeah. quote is at the end of the last uh, third of our book is, die before you die, which is a Brian Moresco quote. And I think it's just the, the willingness to let parts of yourself die is what allows you to grow. And so I think death is, we've embraced death in a big way with the work that we do. And I think both of those quotes are supportive of that. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it really speaks to this larger theme of all of our lives in which the, the ecstasy is on the other side of our vulnerability. Like you can play it safe and you can, you know, even falsely show an avatar of yourself, which is basically telling the world what you want the world to see. Oh, I'm going to tell you about me by my, even my, the way I carry myself, the way I answer questions, the way that I talk to you. I'm going to tell you what I want you to hear. But showing is a much different thing because if you're really showing somebody and showing them the truth, then you will be judged for who you really are. And I think that's what's scary is we live in a, in a world where judgment is so fast and so easy and so snap judgment I and mean, we see it everywhere you know people canceling each other this whole idea of like show me this little glimpse of this thing and you're fucking out you're done and i think we're inherently afraid of that so we've learned ways to play it safe maybe even from our parents you know where we know that there's some truth 
but like we don't want to show that because we'll get punished for that but we can tell something different Mm -hmm. and and it doesn't even have to go all the way to dishonesty but it can be telling our own internal compliance telling our own these things whereas showing the vulnerability oftentimes gets punished but if you're living in that world you're just playing this game with very maybe maybe arguably less risk but definitely less reward like that ecstasy that comes on the other side of vulnerability is not going to be available unless you just lay it out there and open it. and i think you guys did a great job embodying that in the book and it, and it reminded me you know as i was reading there is a couple different parts and we'll get to this where you had certain people who were concerned about what was in the book because you talk about a relationship you had with a you know you're you're married and you had a relationship with another woman named mars there's some things in there that more conservative people may not have liked and then you talk about your psychedelic medicine use we'll talk about that too and some people may not have liked it and i think it was stephen king who said like for every single individual person that you're worried about reading your work your work is 10 percent less good Mm. you know and and i think you guys did a great job of being like you know what like we'll have these hard conversations we'll have some of our like one of your good buddies is like you're a fucking druggie fuck you you know and like parents are like what are you guys talking about this is crazy um but you went for it you like really went for it and that's and i think the the freedom that is going to be the reward the coming alive is then the reward of of this and so it's just a really powerful theme that dives through all of our lives and especially like what you're offering here. We were pretty strategic about it as well. We we didn't let my mom read the book, for example, until after it was already too late to change anything. <laughs> like it was it was locked and loaded and off to the printer mm-hmm. um, because we were, you know, we knew there was going to be some trigger there. Um, but at the end, like we call it the choiceless choice, like there wasn't a choice to censor it. We, you know, we were, we tried to be um, as, as compassionate as we could, but also be extremely truthful and honest in, in the storytelling. Um, but we were also very strategic about when people, uh, for example, I did at the end of the, uh, the book, we have bonus material where we interview the audio book, where we interview the different people in the book, my mom, my daughter, my ex-wife, my best friend, and the, the audio with my best friend we couldn't even use because it was like it just did not like flow (laughs) (laughs) it was like water and oil it just it was it was a really difficult time so you know but at the end it 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 really um because we went there it also allowed for some real healing of course with all those relationships and i think that today uh we're on the other side of that and and we're in a much better place for it you guys start off i mean the book comes out fucking hot <laughs> like you guys you guys come out you guys come out and it's it's a a beautiful story because people are reticent to talk about their sex life you know it's like we're in this w- strange neo-puritanical world where like everybody's starting to celebrate sex but but don't talk about yours mm. <laughs> you know what i mean like yes yes sex in general beautiful except in all of these other circumstances except in, in these circumstances where it's bad and predatory and misogynistic and patriarchal and and but then there's the good one and then there's the sacred one and but still nobody's like yeah this is this is how we do it and this is how we fuck our way open you know and you guys just go fucking all right let's go 
let's go. So let's let's not leave the audience with bated breath. Let's tell let's tell that initial story where you actually reclaimed something very important in your sexuality through meeting Benjamin. For sure. Yeah, we kind of we thrust the reader into this very oh nice word potent moment. <laughs> um, and we did it because that moment was a pivotal turning point in both of our lives like like the kind of turning point that you don't you know that that changes you forever um so i'll give a little bit of a backstory basically benjamin and i met uh, two weeks prior to this moment and we met in los angeles through a mutual friend and there was this chemistry kind of right away and then um he he had already planned a trip to go to tulum to attend the summit conference and he invited me along with him and so we're, you know, we're very new. There's this crazy chemistry. Um, he's for sure like unlocking things in me sexually that I'd never experienced before. But there was also a lot of hesitation from, a, you know, from like a logical side of us was like, are we really compatible right now in this at this moment in our lives? I had just come out of a almost 10 year long monogamous relationship. I'd only ever been in monogamous relationships. And I felt like this was my time to, after 10 months of celibacy, like this was my time to really taste the rainbow, as I said on the last podcast, like mm. get out there, right? And he um, and he was like, I've been tasting the rainbow for like the last 15 years straight. I'm good on He's the like, rainbow. <laughs> I am your rainbow, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> so he's like ready to like claim and build a life and all the things. So anyway, so fast forward to this moment. So we're, we we decide um, we we spent a little bit of extra time in Tulum, and we're on the beach, and it's like a beautiful sunny day, and we decide that we're going to drop some LSD together. And I give a little context for those who aren't maybe in the world of the psychedelic plant medicine um, space, but you know LSD has. If such you are a, out there listening to my podcast and you're not <laughs> in that space, this is for you. <laughs> exactly. We're not going to make a blanket assumption. Right? <laughs> That's right. It's good. That's <laughs> just, smart. That's smart. Yeah. So. Um, LSD is not something that we work with very often. It's it kind of has a time and place, I think. But out of all, out of out of the and just to be clear, I've never found that time and place with LSD. Really, yeah. Personally, I mean, I've done it in a variety of different situations: micro, macro, medio, whatever. Outside, inside, with friends, alone. I haven't found it, mm. but uh, but I know everyone that for many has, people, everyone has their medicine. Yeah, yeah. that's what's it's just really interesting. We're all radically unique beings, and also radically the same. But listening to yourself and listening to what it is, and it doesn't mean that I've closed the door either. Um, but yeah, interesting note. But anyways, obviously works for you in certain situations. Yeah, and we set an intention, and and we ingested that the the medicine, and it really was medicine for us. Um, basically, like it was starting to kind of kick in. And Benjamin was reading The Second Mountain, which is a book that has inspired a lot of mm -hmm. our journey um, by David Brooks. And in and he was right on the chapter around marriage and commitment. And again, you know, my my mindset was more of like marriage feels like a really outdated kind of patriarchal sort of system of like control and um, property. It doesn't really feel like something that is That's really- exactly how it works. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, you're not and mistaken. <laughs> you were um, right all along, actually. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't feel, yeah, I didn't feel, I'd never had the dream of like getting married one day and wearing the white dress and, and all of that. I was like, I want to, I want to really question um, mm -hmm. relationship dynamics. And, uh, and so, 
you know, LSD and really all psychedelics, I would say one of the reasons why I love them so much is they just annihilate, to use that word again, these parts of yourself that are like stuck to certain ideas of what things should be, right? And so all of that was starting to melt away as we were reading this chapter together. And the words were hitting me at like a really deep level. And it was talking about the power and the beauty of making one choice. And, And instead of thinking that freedom is having infinite choice, like that one choice is actually the ultimate freedom. And there was so many ways in which he was wording that, uh, that was just really resonant and really powerful. And at some point, Benjamin excuses himself to go to the bathroom. I want to, let's take a pause in this because there's a, there's a, a tangent that I want to go down that I think is really valuable to go down and we'll leave people with, uh, with the cliffhanger of where this sexy story is going. But I've been really thinking about the nature of freedom, you Mm -hmm. know, because this is, I'm writing a new book. And I know that I've talked a lot about me writing a book, but this one's really going to happen. Um, finally figured it out. And one of the core sacred desires that we all have is to be free. Like we, we crave being free. And we crave being free from a very kind of primitive way in which we identify as part of what we are is the boundless energy, boundless source energy. There's lots of ways you can say that, but energy itself, which is just emanating in infinitude from source and then but if you do that and there's no binding element to that then it's just homogeny it's just god in its unicity state because without any interference without any boundary there's just one there's just one it's one and which is beautiful but it's one and that's a little boring so then introduce the mother also known as the matrix, matrix, you know, which is actually a derivative of mother, you know, mater in Latin. The matrix is all of the sacred geometry, everything that can be created. And then energy infuses into all of this matrix of all of the sacred geometry of matter and all of the organization of how everything is organized and divided. And all of a sudden unlocks infinite creativity. So yes, we have this deep, like, drive for freedom which is part of us identifying as the energy as source energy but without some container the chalice the the matrix to be held we actually it's boring like we don't have the creativity to create within that container so it's been interesting for me to like explore oh yes like you need both to really be free like for the divine to be free it needed to be constrained by matter for us to be free for art to exist art needs a constraint otherwise it's all paint all color all light all sound it's now no longer music it's no longer a painting it's everything but you add constraint and then all of a sudden it's like there's like real freedom mm-hmm. well, in that it also depends on your definition of freedom right in the same book that uh, david brooks wrote uh he talks about how the ultimate freedom is actually choosing something fully right and so if you can imagine how much energy we spend, say, searching for a partner, right? Or many partners. And when you decide to actually choose one fully, imagine all the freedom that that frees up in your system because all that energy can now be focused in other areas of your life. Mm -hmm. And so it also depends on kind of how you you look at freedom because- Yeah, freedom for- which is like freedom for the creation of this new thing, which is now available, and freedom from all of the other distractions. Yeah. It's another way to look at it. And another aspect of freedom that I've been really meditating on 
is we're only free to the degree at which we're safe. Mm. Like safety and freedom are on a continuum. And the moment where we're not safe, we're no longer free. Yeah. And there's all kinds of interesting studies, you know, with kids in playgrounds where when the kids feel safe because there's a clearly defined fence and they know that they're being watched and the fence is there, they fucking explore the whole playground. But if there's no fence and it feels a little shady, the kids huddle together. So yeah, while they're even true. more free, they could go even farther. They could just run and not stop running because there's no, they don't, because they don't feel safe. And that's the same with us. Like even in this whole COVID situation, like people are like freedom and some people are like safety, but really it's just a matter of, okay, we're all for the same thing. Everybody's for freedom, but some people don't feel safe to step outside without a mask. So they don't feel free. They don't feel safe to go outside without a vaccine. So they don't feel free. They still want freedom. It's just some people feel safer than other people. And it seems, you know, what I've discovered with Vailana is the safer our container gets, the more wildly free we are because we feel loved. Mm -hmm. We feel safe. And that's the, big, the biggest fear, right? The fear is that we're not going to be loved because that's another one of our sacred desires, like to be loved, to be seen. And then all of a sudden that safety gets so strong. And then our whole orientation is like, wow. Like, I'm really free to go because I'm going to be loved no matter what. I'm going to be loved if I fucking fail this business, if I fuck this thing up, if this lawsuit goes squirrely, if this thing goes bad, if I, if my crazy shaman tells me that I can't have sex for six months, like, I'm, I'm safe and therefore I'm free to choose all of these different things. Little threads that we'll talk about, obviously, I'm foreshadowing some more of the book. So it's, it's really cool to kind of like explore how in, and we want freedom, but we don't really understand freedom mm -hmm. to the fullest extent. And I think that's what you were saying ultimately is like, fuck, I, I want freedom. And then, and then, of course, you still want freedom too. But then you guys came to this realization like, wait, maybe there's even more freedom in the safety and in the, in the commitment of this, of this union. But you weren't quite there yet. You're still kind of figuring it out. But of course, it makes sense that now you're in and i would say knowing you guys as dear friends like you probably feel the most free you've ever felt you know because you're the most loved you could ever possibly be and that's opened a lot up but at this point <laughs> at this point taking some lsd yeah trying to figure that trying out trying to figure that out trying to explore I mean, God, what this all meant there's so many things i could say to what you just shared um and feel free we got time we ain't yeah going. i think that maybe there's different phases of your life where you want different things, right? Like, I think I was at a phase at that moment in my journey where the idea of making a commitment to someone felt very unsafe. Mm. And so even though it feels like logically it would be the opposite, right? But, that, but, but just uniquely where I was in that moment, like that felt unsafe. And also because of my some of my programming and my my patterns around commitments and not not being able to be the person that I once was for people and then like destroying them and breaking their hearts, or at least that was the story that I created, right? Like being the heartbreaker, there was this real fear of if I let myself go here, like here's this man who's inviting me into this profound depth of connection and I want to lean in, everything in me wants to lean in, but I'm also not feeling safe to fully lean in because I'm afraid of the consequences of what leaning in would mean. Mm -hmm. And so all of that was present 
And then the book was like hitting those chords. And then the LSD was like opening my heart and, you know, ripping away all my ego's attachments to what I thought I want. And, and then the weather shifts. And so he's inside in the bathroom. And all of a sudden, it's like this gorgeous, clear day, you know, bright blue sky. One second to the next, the storm rolls in, tropical storm, and starts raining. And these thick clouds come and everyone just grabs their stuff and runs inside. And I'm like, oh, hell no, I'm not going inside. And so I take off my bikini top. I go to the edge of the water and I'm standing there now on a deserted beach by myself. And Benjamin comes back and he stands next to me and he's like, we're going in. So we, <laughs> we get in the water and it's the waves are churning and we're like peaking now. It's just like this most insane experience. And then we head back to the room and I walk into the room. It's this little cabana. Didn't he say, and, didn't he say like, hang on here. I'm going to set up a surprise for you. No, Isn't that's it? when he went to the, allegedly went to the bathroom. He had already uh, gone and done that. So I didn't know. I didn't know. You are. So you are. He was well ahead of the game. You were, you were yeah. preparing something magical. So I walk in and the whole room is like illuminated with candles and I can tell some things up. And he walks up to me and he hands me a blindfold. And he basically says, do you want to say it in your own words, baby? <laughs> this is what we do in the book. We go back and forth, so might as yeah. well. I basically tell her, like, if I hand her the blindfold and I said, if you, if you accept this, then you are agreeing to fully surrender to me. And then uh, I basically tell her the rules. I said, the rules are uh, you can emote emotion, you can moan, you can scream, you can do whatever, but you, you can't say a word. And if you do, the experience is over and will not begin again under any circumstances. <laughs> and um, you know, we're two weeks into a relationship, <laughs> right? We we barely know each other. Um, but it was a, uh, it was, and then I had the, I had straps and the whole setup, right? Like, you so know. you had one of those like mobile, mobile bondage things that goes under the mattress and then hooks up on the other side. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, <laughs> yeah. Are, those are good. Those are good suitcase packer. Yeah, I've surprised her a few times with those. <laughs> um, There's also the ones that go over the door and then like you can have a little straps to the door. There's some interesting things you yeah. can do. You don't need a dungeon, everyone. Just let, let you all yeah, know. You can get very creative. You can get, just pack creative, things yeah. in a nice little bundle yeah. and totally. make all kinds of surprises. Well, what's interesting here, and I'll, I'll let you guys can finish the finish this story is that you know we're going to be moving into a, another realm where safety and freedom are actually counterintuitive mm -hmm. because we're talking about restraints and a blindfold you're restricted you're not free to see you're limited in what you can say and you're going to be tied yeah being dominated open, yeah right and in that experience like you're going to find a freedom that you've never felt again like the same metaphor of like whoa freedom isn't actually what i thought it was exactly well yeah i mean i think it, it, what what is more empowering than surrendering in you know because it's one thing to be tied up against your will not it, free it's another thing to mm -hmm. voluntarily surrender i mean what what more empower empowered position can someone be than to voluntarily surrender into that into that and i think that also this it's interesting what you say about the safety and the freedom piece i'm wondering right both in the sexual contents and even when you say you know at that point in time you didn't feel safe to lean into a, a commitment but in life like that's also a big turn on and if it would have been safe to lean into it you know it might not have been so there might not have been the polarity there absolutely and i was going to say that too that like Yes, we, we from a 
of course we want safety, but we also want risk. Mm. We want danger and we want to be pushed past our edges, right? Out of our comfort zones. And I certainly wanted that. And so- You're welcome. But I hadn't met, <laughs> I hadn't met anyone who could do that because I was generally the person as a coach and a facilitator, I was often holding people in that scenario right. where I was more of the container and pushing people past their edges, not in a sexual you know, context, but in, in their consciousness, in their spiritual journey, in their healing process. Um, so I was very used to being that for people and people would lean into me, but I hadn't really met anyone at that point who could like just render me speechless, like literally, and give me this, this and because he was so clear there was no part of him that was questioning his capacity to like execute this experience. And this you know? is this is like this is so <laughs> this is so clutch, right? Oh. Like, don't you can't go in this like, hey, so and your voice gets a little higher because yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. Not, hey, you're so, nervous. Uh, yeah, maybe I was I was thinking like maybe if if you wanted like you could put this blindfold on and like maybe I'll tie <laughs> t- like tie up your That's arms. That's not a safe that doesn't, space. That, it's not you will inherently go like no. Yeah. How about no? How about, you know, we'll talk about it and like maybe down the road. But there's a there's an energy of that. And, and yeah. there's an energy of when you trust yourself and you trust yourself with that, it's the the that surrender from someone, from anyone. It doesn't matter who yeah. it is. It could be a child, it could be a lover. When someone surrenders to you, you have to trust yourself. And that's the beauty of that's the beauty of this power exchange dynamic, is you're really learning how to trust. The one surrendering is learning to trust the other and trust themselves to make that choice. But the one who's being surrendered to is learning how to receive radical trust and how to actually hold that radical trust and not abuse that radical, like know yourself, like know that you're gonna guide this. And it's really like a deep, it's like a deep service that you actually get into because of how gracious the one surrendering what they're offering they're offering their a goddess is offering her entirety it's like well i better show up in my god right now and not overstep this thing because the whole thing can crumple into a into a ball of you know drama drama (laughs) Drama and drama yeah really quickly so it's like it's this deep practice and trust and there's so much that goes there but when it goes right like this one did how did that experience go for you well i mean and for those of you who have had the experience of being on LSD, that's intense just by itself, <laughs> you know? But then when you're like strapped, like spread eagle, butt ass naked in a bed and you can't see anything and this is a brand new and you can't say anything. <laughs> and words, of course, are like my safe, happy place, right? right? Like I can verbally kind of talk myself out of any situation. Or but, into or into but i was but I, he took that away from me and so that was really for sure the most in, incredible s- state of because he, you know I, what you said is so true like i could only trust him to the degree that he trusts himself mm-hmm. but because his trust in, in 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 his ability to facilitate that experience was so unwavering and i think that's the word that you know, summarizes the 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 draw and the attraction to to him in general is this unwavering essence that he has. Um, it just allowed me to like open and just go go to places physically that I had never gone before in both the pleasure and the pain, you know, thresholds. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, it was it was a very like 
I guess and those two things weave and they start to get real blurry. For they sure. They start to be like, whoa, pleasure and pain. And then it's sensation, different, you know, keystrokes on a, on the same organ, just and, playing a different and when note. And when you make that transition from something being painful to pleasurable, it's like next level ecstatic, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it felt like I went beyond time. Yeah. Like I went to a different yeah. place. Transient hypofrontality. Benjamin, you are more in what a classic flow state would be. This is what the research says about power exchange. You drop into flow state, you drop into transient hyperfrontality. But on a more collo colloquial sense, what you experience is the submissive gets to surrender completely to the ecstasy of the divine, which is what we all deeply crave. Let me surrender completely and feel ecstasy. We can find that in a, in a plant medicine ceremony, but you can also find it in sexuality. And I think this is this big reclamation that's coming. It's like the medicine of sex. Exactly. And then as the, as the one in the dominant role, you get to feel what it's like to fuck as God, like with unlimited power. Like what do I do to fuck as God with unlimited power and feel that ecstasy? And then, you know, both are like these massively ecstatic states, which have been relegated to like, yeah, it's kinky and you can... You know, materialists reduce it down to all of these different mental mental states, but it goes, it's much bigger than that. It's so like, much bigger. I think, I think too, also, I think that the other piece is the psychedelics, right? I think a lot of people out there would really frown on the fact that we're using psychedelics in this way. And, but what it, what psychedelics have done um, in recreational ways and in, in ceremonial ways, both, they've allowed us to just continuously like let the walls down and so that experience that night was you know a beautiful profound ceremony of sorts but when we finished that two weeks in the relationship she, we basically went all in or at least where we thought was all in at that point and that was a huge like we just leaped six months in time within that that experience that we had because beyond words like the surrendering and the trust that was built in that experience was profound. And so we leapfrogged. And then, you know, also in ceremonial context, like the use of ayahuasca in our relationship has been profound. We've, we, you know, we've been in a relationship two and a half years. It feels like we've been together 20 years. And the way we navigated um, some of our challenges uh, was really special and allowed us to move at quantum speed. Yeah. I think we got to rewrite a lot of these narratives around psychedelics and you know something like this experience because you want to talk about a sacred container to me the way that i'm looking at the world and yeah recently i've been studying with this erotic mystic who's, tra who's tracing the lineage back from the temples of solomon and how shahina the goddess the goddess divine herself is a representation of eros this desire the allurement between subatomic particles, between people, this craving from one to the other, and to use medicine as a doorway to give you access to this deep, deep eros, deep presence of where you're completely rooted in the moment and there's not another fucking thought in the world that you're just there with that one person and you're building ecstasy together and learning the alchemy of all of these different feelings of pain to pleasure, of control to service to all of this. like that's like the most sacred container. Mm -hmm. And it's just so interesting. We have all of these like rules and rigidity around it, but I think that's what's kind of, now is the time for this new consciousness to emerge. Like, no, stop. Like stop with like, it has to be like 
sacred noble sign there's a place for all of that like sit on your mat and deal with your shit and don't say anything like i'm i'm all for that too totally you know it's not like a it's not an either or situation but to reclaim the sacred in in that sexual experience or just pleasure itself mm -hmm. like one of the things that i also hate is like people are like yeah i took mushrooms and i just laughed all the time with my friends like oh i'm not doing it right what the fuck you mean you're not doing it right? <laughs> right? That's so right. Like what vibration is higher than ecstatic laughter? It's an orgasm with different spasms and you're doing it over and over again. And like setting that intention, like I wanna, I wanna cultivate that. Like I wanna have like straight up, like the whole purpose of this whole ceremony is to fucking laugh. Because after those ones, those are the ones, I mean, I've had some amazing, beautiful, life-shifting medicine journeys, but the ones that I really remember the most is like, man, that was a good fucking day. The ones where I'm like laughing or making love. Mm. You know, yeah, I remember the other ones and they're great and they've changed my life, shifted everything. Typically, they're usually pretty hard before they get to that state. But I think back to like my bright moments, you know, like so if true. I looked at a heat map of my memories, it's like, oh yeah, that one day where we just could not stop laughing about my homie trying to butter this piece of bread and we were just dying and rolling on the floor. And I was, you know, <laughs> just coming off a mushroom trip. It was like, it was so full of joy. Yeah. And like, so in the hard moments, in the challenging times, because we all have those fucking times, we'll think back to that ecstatic lovemaking and that ecstatic laughter and that question of, is it worth it? That question doesn't even come because it'd be like, oh yeah, remember that time? I wouldn't miss that time. I wouldn't miss that time for fucking anything. And how valuable is that? Totally. You know, yeah. it's like, let, like, let's reclaim, let's, like, let's reclaim our pleasure and our laughter and our eroticism. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm fully with you. I mean, that's why we chose to kick the book off with. I know. You know, uh, that's why I love it. Taking people right into it. that moment with us because it was that pivotal moment and it was, it really did. It was like a ripple in the quantum field of our lives. And it was like, okay, you're now on a timeline together that just, you were terrified of five five minutes ago you know and now here you are and you see that you see each other through this lens of truth and i think that that's it's a lot of times i think people especially people who have not had personal experiences with with psychedelics or plant medicines um they're like well you're on some kind of drug so you're it's it's like it's it's this fake or or um altered state well yeah it's 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 not a natural state right you're taking something external to 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 change your state my experience is that my ego's delusions in my day-to-day -day life are actually the unnatural state. Yep. We're Whereas, drunk all the time. Right? And occasionally we get sober with some help with some substances. Exactly. Like yeah. these substances actually take away the distortions from just my conditioning and my programming and my negativity and my judgment and allow me to see what's really there, which is perfection and beauty and, and truth. And, uh, and so I think that that's just a, yeah, an important thing to realize, uh, that those moments are anchor moments. And then the work is to find our way home there in our day-to-day -day life, right? We don't want to be dependent on peak experiences. We don't want to feel like our sex is mediocre when we're not like tripping balls. We want to have that level of communion and mm -hmm. connection and intimacy in, you know, at 7.30 a.m. on a Wednesday morning before the first Zoom call. And like, we want to be able to find that place, even if it's not as dramatic, even if it's not as bookworthy right yeah. but we want to find that same level of like i fucking see the divine in you and you see the divine in me and our bodies are just vessels for us to be able to merge our divinity in this moment and it, it stripped us down 
to the point where two weeks into the relationship, we were planning our entire lives together. We were like, we're writing a book, we're building a retreat center, we're launching this platform. You know, four months into the relationship, we were buying gorgeous property to house transformational retreats. And then a month later, we decided to throw a housewarming party that was actually like a surprise wedding. So in five months, we just went quantum and it just stripped us of all the walls and it allowed us to move at at really quantum speed and so it was it was a really a valuable tool that yeah. allowed us to to get see beyond all that so a couple of thoughts one is uh if you don't have experience particularly with entheogenic medicine like mdma or mda or one of these really hard opening medicines and you take that with somebody and you've never done that before be a little careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be a little careful because you <laughs> might, might be like, be your holy <laughs> shit, I fucking love you. And you've never felt that before. Right. And then you could get a little confused. Yeah, I don't think you start there. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. And I also don't think that psychedelics are for everyone. And I think that, you know, you need to really know if you're in the frame of mind to be able to support that. If you're really, you know, struggling, you have PTSD. There's certain times where you, if you're going to go there, you want to have a trained professional with you, right? So... Very always important to put that caveat out there, and and that other caveat of like, just be mindful. But both of you guys had plenty of experience with both medicines and meeting people, so you know it was you're able to use that field of reference and be like, no, 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 I I could do this with any variety of different people. It doesn't yield the same result. It's not the drug that's creating this kind of connection. It's opening ourselves to the truth of what this connection actually really is so you know that's i think important to understand is that this could facilitate some weird matches and you know that happened that's happened with vi you oh, know yeah? that's happened with vi like where one day on mdma set her up for a couple years of hell you really know, like in, in in different situations and so it is important to like all right you know if you don't have like a lot of experience like let's let's be mindful of that situation but i want to go back to another thing because there's certain things that we say that I'm just in this mode where I want to question and challenge everything. Let's say that, so the challenge with something like, let's say MDMA, is there, even though they've done a lot of good studies on the neurotoxicity level being minimal and a lot of the, you know, side, you know, kind of the downside of it is not what it was purported to be in the 80s where it's rotting your brain and something like that. And we're not even talking about MDMA here. But people say like, oh, you know, like the goal is to do it on your own. But, you know, all of us take supplements and a lot of us are on hormone replacement therapy. And a lot of us are like woven in with exogenous extrinsic. We are a pro- we are inex- inextricable from our environment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these medicines are part of our environment. A lot of people are microdosing on like a regular sustained basis. So the idea that, yeah, you can do it on your own. And I think it's, it's, helpful to be able to get there and certainly super important you don't want to be dependent on anything that's like an addiction but also like it's okay just be just be really mindful like what's the cost benefit it's just a weird world to me where someone can say oh yeah take one prozac every day or five or i don't know what the fucking dose is (laughs) you can take five prozacs a day but wait a minute you're using psychedelics to access bliss states once a week like figure that out on your own but if you're depressed, go talk to your doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe not. Maybe like be really mindful of the cost benefit. Like, no, it's very easy to become unglued. It's there's some risks. There's some legit risks physiologically, psychologically, spiritually. 
there's risks and you have to be very mindful of it, but not to just take for granted that these things are somehow only just a tool to get you somewhere. Maybe these are like woven into our lives in this, in this way that's like, okay, this is like a part of life. Yeah, in a I really mean, beautiful way. Terrence McKenna said it. He's like, if if you drink a cup of coffee or you have a piece of chocolate, like you're you're altering your state, right? right? And these are ways that we've just accepted in our culture are totally normal, and they are integrated into the fabric of our lives. Um, and I think for me, it's kind of like chocolate or coffee, right? In moderation, like there's only so much of it that's really going to serve me. Much, you exactly. can have too much chocolate. <laughs> I know this is a real uh, big shocker for you. Um, I learned something in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, for me, my my body, like when I take a psychedelic substance, there is a cost energetically. Like I I I feel it the next day, or I feel it the next couple of days, um, and so I'm very mindful of that. Like because I actually love my sober state, I really do, and I've worked hard to get to a place where I do. And so for me, it's like there's a really a particular time and place um, because it has a cost, and I think it should. Because if it didn't have any cost, then you know the the. But what if it didn't? What if it didn't? What if it lit? What if it legitimately didn't have a cost? Because the thing is, it's like it's still I think mildly ascribing to this idea that it's somehow not a real thing. Right. Like I am fully on board with like. Don't fucking plug me into a computer and give me some fake, you know, blue pill alternate reality nonsense. Like, I want the real fucking thing. I don't even believe that that's even possible, first of all. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not a technologist in this idea that we're going to be able to recreate reality in all its divinity by some fucking metaverse thing. Like, I don't care. I just, I'm just not a believer. Prove me wrong. Great. I'll look forward to it. But, but ultimately, like, I just, I just wonder if, if there isn't ways to actually just heighten our use, use our environment, use this type of technology in a way to, to just really support us. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't have a solution. I don't think it exists. I'm just kind of philosophically opening the mind to this idea of maybe there will be tools and maybe, you know, there's things like these, this happy device that's still, you know, it's not as strong as it could be but kind of shifts your brainwave patterns and has like bliss patterns that it can go in. And maybe one day that, that gets on a watch and it's you, it's fully you, but you're just kind of in this kind of more enlivened and loving state. You know, I'm open to these, I'm open to this, this possibility of this augmented true reality. It has to be true. That's like the litmus test, mm -hmm. but an augmented true reality. Cause I never feel more myself than when I'm in one of these states, whether I've gotten there, through breath work or time in nature or a fast or just making love or whatever. I'm open to a reality in which this is just so woven into the fabric. It becomes part a part of a part of who I am and a part of my existence. Again, I don't have like a, a plan for this. I don't think it exists necessarily yet, or at least we haven't figured it out. But I but I'm open. I'm open to this world in which we'd throw out all of these other rules and not say, it's better if you get there on your own or not. It's better if you get there on your own, if it's better. And it may be better, but it may not be. You know, like, like whichever way, whichever way works, like use, throw out all the old rules and say like, is it, is this true? Is this better or is this not better? But maybe this is just me in my own state where I'm now like, 
I don't want to accept anything. I want to like, I want to think about everything that I say and be like, huh, what if there was a medicine that I could take, a psychedelic medicine that just opened my heart like 20% more every day and had no downside? I'm not saying it exists, but what if there was? Do you not take it? Mm. Yeah. I think I probably take it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Like it's it's uh and and this is the interesting world that we're potentially entering. Potentially entering a world where thing new things become possible and maybe th- new things become necessary for us to transition to this next world. I think what psychedelics do is they give us a reference point. And so you you enter this state, you get an altered state, it opens your heart, but now you know what that feels like. And so when you get back to your reality, you have something to to shoot for. Yeah. And I've seen it happen with Azria. She's in a place like with Aya where she's not feeling called to sit and probably won't for a pretty extended period of time because she's she's done enough work to where now that altered state is is what her normal state, you know, used to be or is now. Yeah. So I think she's she's a good example of like using it as a tool and then getting to a place where you actually like your normal state is 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 not too far away from what the altered state used to be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to feel, having been a psychonaut now for quite some time and having certainly, you know, gone deep down that rabbit hole and explored a lot of different things and worked very extensively with Aya, it was important for me at one point to really come back into just remembering what it feels like to not alter my consciousness at all for an extended period mm-hmm. of time. I think that's very important. So I did that for, like, I committed to six months and then it ended up actually being longer because I really felt... What was nice about that, it was like a reset button. And I felt that any any use that wasn't 100% in alignment, that was a little bit just habitual maybe, fell away during that time. And what was left was really just the relationship to, the, to, these, to these medicines or substances that felt really like true. And it, and it was just less. It just became less for me naturally at that time. Now... Does that mean it's always going to be that way? No, right? I don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. next. But um, but yeah, I think that there's there's different phases, and you're in a phase of of questioning and exploring right now, which is which is a beautiful thing. Um, but you also have you're looking at it through the lens of like better or worse, right? And even that is a construct of the mind because exactly beyond that, it just all just is. So exactly. it's really just like, well, what do you what do you want experience? What do you want? What, yeah, if it comes be... down to that, comes down to that yeah. that ultimate, like, what do you what do you really want? Yeah, you know, like, what do you what is your what is your deepest desire? And I think that's the and I think these hierarchies of judgment is what I'm feeling the rebellion against. I actually completely agree with you. I don't think that there's. I think the the mastery is being able to uh, navigate your own ship to get yourself to a lot of these places and then occasionally find bridges and doorways to other realities that are, I actually agree but I'm in this state where like I don't I don't want to make anything better or more sacred for the mere sake of it because it's like because it's what we've been told or what we've heard you know like there's just very interesting limitations you know the ways in which we've limited our pleasure we've limited our bliss we say that we have to earn it all of these ideas like yeah a lot of times most of the time you have to earn it but if you're given something then the practice of well how do i be fully grateful and integrate it earn it on the other side with my own gratitude for it and my own like acknowledgement of this gift that i've gotten 
that's like the that's just the place that I'm in. It's just like let's let's be done with all of these things and let's carve a whole radically new world where we're not placing judgments on on all of these things. If you're Sadhguru and you can be high every moment of the day naturally, like great. No wonder he's like, why would you want to get high? Well, you're high all the time. You know, <laughs> like of course you don't want us to get high. You know, I get it. But it's uh I'm I'm kind of like I'm kind of feeling this rebellion against mm. judgment. And I think you guys do a great job of like starting to dissolve like the LSD itself, dissolve these boundaries. And dissolving these boundaries of saying like, okay, what is what is a relationship? What is commitment? What is what is it like to be in a marriage and have another lover? What is it like to, you know, be a strong, badass, powerful woman and submit and surrender completely? to your man like what is it what are all of these things like like let's fucking throw out all of this all of this other stuff and let's chart our own way that's true to us and that's like a big part you guys you know name your process becoming with the Q, but it's a big process of becoming part of it is the unlearning of all of this shit that we've gotten downloaded and this has been a big process that you guys have been in how do you unlearn all of this shit challenge everything and then build what's true for you back without the models of judgment that we've all been a part of by our connection to the field. Yep, for sure. Well said. The One of the things that you guys talk about is one of the restrictive parts of this, fear. Fear, like fear is this constricting energy. <clears throat> and one thing that I really resonated that you said is the ultimate fear is letting love in. How weird is that? How weird is that? And you see it in songs, Love Hurts, right? That's this idea. And it's, I think, this is another one of those ideas of like, all right, let's challenge this belief. Is it the love that hurts? Or what is, or where is this fear coming from? Why? Why are you afraid? What's going on? So what, in your own experience, like your own fear of really being loved, because I, I can identify with that fear very much. Yeah, I think it's the paradox, right? That like what we want more than anything is to be loved and yet it's the thing that we often resist the most. What we want more than anything is to be seen for who we truly are, yet to actually allow ourselves to be seen is like the biggest risk and the scariest choice. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think letting love in, the way that I feel love, when I feel the, it's to me, it's like, a, it's a frequency and it's very viscous, like it's, it's like it's like honey. And we have the three stages of becoming and we talk about the third stage being the honey stage. So sugar be honey, um, which is just our way of kind of tracking like spiritual maturation through through these different stages of consciousness. But, but we use honey as an analogy for love because it really is that it's thick and it's sweet and it's nutritious and it fills every crack. Like it, it just, it, it, you know, it, it has no edges. Um, and, I think when love penetrates us, and I'll speak for myself, when love enters into my field the way it did with with him, it's like shining this huge spotlight into your soul and it starts illuminating all these parts of yourself that you yourself have rejected or deemed unworthy of love. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so hard to let it in mm -hmm. because it's like you can no longer hide from yourself in the face of this light, of this love coming in. So your fear then 
tries to protect you, right? I mean, we, we say if love is the answer, fear is the teacher because fear is actually always going to point you to where you are resisting the very th thing that you already are, which is love. Mm. So your fear is, a, is like, instead of seeing it as this obstacle or this nemesis that we have to like banish, I'm really actively in my own work and in my teaching work working on the frame that fear is this ally, it's a misunderstood ally, mm. but it's showing us where we're holding back or where we're trying to block out the true love that is available. Yeah. Um, and so when it pops up and it rears its ugly head, it's like, oh, hey, thanks, you know, for showing me like this is an area where I feel unlovable. Yeah, I guess I just add, um, you know, fears is, as our friend O says, is, is really a fear of feeling something. And so when you really look at it through that lens and you're just like, all the fear is just a fear around feeling something fully. And the real work is when you can feel something fully and and lean into that, it's that's where bliss is, right? Is that bliss that quote, is the bliss is any, any feeling, feeling fully, fully felt. felt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Joseph and Campbell. Joseph Campbell, yeah. And so when you when you can lean into that fear and feel it and let it just permeate you that's that's where the sweet spot is and that's where the real magic happens when you like life all of a sudden starts just getting easy but now that's you telling i want to i want you to sh to, to yeah to what, do were you, the what were you what were you afraid what were you afraid of exactly. you know because you were you were more all in from the drop but you know there had to still be fear i'll use you a, i'll use a different example because i certainly had real fears in the relationship but i'll use a different example so I was in a in a really massive lawsuit, and it it drove uh, a really significant amount of fear in my system. And as a child, um, I really couldn't read, as as I share in the book, right? I I really couldn't read, and so there was this. I always felt like until really college, and I don't know how I got into college, but um, <laughs> I really thought I was stupid because. I was always the one in the room that couldn't answer. And so what does that make you, right? And then it took me a long time to kind of start- Like to, really bad uh, dyslexia for people yeah, who don't know, right? Bad dyslexia. And and so what that created in me throughout my life was this real scared little boy that, that, that couldn't read. And so I needed external validation. I needed to accumulate things to feel safe. I didn't feel safe in the world. And so it didn't matter how successful I was and how many companies I had or how big I grew. I always felt unsafe. And so I needed, I needed to, I needed to create more material wealth so I could feel safer, but there was no amount of material wealth that would make me feel safe and no amount of external validation that would make me feel safe. So I went, I got in this lawsuit investing in, in something I shouldn't have. And, um, it, it turned out to be a real spiritual awakening for me. It so really it was investing in something you should have. Yeah. Uh, it, it all happened exactly as it should have, of course. Um, but that was a real spiritual awakening for me. And I got to a place in that where I was like, okay, I'm no longer going to, and it was really, I did a lot of work around this. I sat in multiple ceremonies and did some heavy lifting. And I got to a place for the first time in my life, I would say, you know, in the last three years, really the last two years, where you could take everything away from me and I feel completely safe in the world. And, and I had to do a lot, a lot of work to get to that place. And, 
you know, and you're talking about like, I could have retired at 38 years old after I sold my first company. I mean, I had 1800 employees, like large, and, and I did not feel safe. And it took that lawsuit of like, okay, like I'm at, I'm, I'm really at risk. And I started running some doomsday scenarios in my head. And I like where I went in my head was not reality, mm -hmm. but those fears of feeling like, and you know, wanting to, to care for my family and all those things and being like, it's all, it, I'm going to lose it all. Cause if this goes bad, then that's going to go bad and that's going to go bad. Mm -hmm. But those fears just lumped up on me. And I, I went through a really, really challenging time. And it was early in our relationship where I was really coming out of that. And I did some real heavy lifting and with the support of, of ayahuasca in a big way, I was sitting like every three weeks, just going back and back. And it was for me, like a lot of people sit and have these epiphanies for me, it was like layers of an onion going getting rid of another layer getting rid of another layer getting rid of another layer and for the first time in my life in the last couple of years can i like truly say like you could take everything away from me no not a penny to my name um because that's that was more fearful in the relationship i didn't necessarily have that fear um but even in the relationship i would say that scared little boy showed up and that there was a real threat the, the fact that she was questioning monogamy um, was 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 hitting me at the core because this scared little boy who felt insecure was like, "Hey, I'm I'm actually going to go all into this relationship," and this person's questioning it. And what allowed me to do that was the night before we left to go to Tulum, two weeks in the relationship. I'm like, I don't even know if I want to like go on a date with you based on where you're at and where I'm at. And I went and sat in an ayahuasca ceremony and, and grandmother just showed me, she just stripped me awake and was like, showed me this love and showed me that I could trust it. And it just stripped away all the walls because what was I scared of? I was just scared of being heartbroken. What's that? Being scared of feeling something fully. And so I, I don't want to feel this thing. So I'm not going to, you know, go after the woman of my dreams. And so the medicine allowed me to strip those walls down and lean into a container uh, with somebody who was like saying i don't know what i want and i'm not sure that conventional monogamy a monogamous relationship is what i'm looking for uh and so over and over the the medicines have helped me um feel what it feels like to to not one to feel that bliss of of, of have a reference point of where i want to go and also uh, allow me to to make peace with this this these fears within me of of really feeling unsafe, whether it's financial or in a relationship. Yeah. Um, and I've done some heavy lifting, and for the first time in my life, I don't you know these last couple of years, like I don't wake up with anxiety. I didn't even know that I woke up every day in perpetual in a perpetually anxious um, energetic. And now I wake up in the morning, and I'm not like there's stuff going on, there's stresses, but like. They don't get to me. They're not penetrating the way they used to. And I spent my entire life um, really anxious. That, I mean, we're really going back to that same quote. You're coming alive because now you're willing to be annihilated. And like, yeah. that's like, it goes back to the same thing. That's why we're afraid of love. We're afraid of being loving fully. And then what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst, one of the worst feelings is you love someone fully. And then that love gets shut off. That doorway to God is slammed in your face and you're like fuck that was my doorway that was my doorway to eros it's not that what we don't see is that oh there's many many doorways like don't worry another one will come but we condense and exile all of our 
communion with the divine love as God through this one doorway. And if that doorway shuts, it's, it's devastating. And that's why it hurts. But if you're willing to allow that annihilation, to feel that annihilation, to surrender to that annihilation, then you're free to just fucking love fully. Like then like you can just let yourself love. Don't, you don't need to fabricate it. Just don't put the fucking brakes on. Yeah. You know, just allow yourself to feel it. If because otherwise, what is the risk? Of course, all right, be mindful if you're gonna have children or get in a legal binding marriage agreement, you know, like maybe have some discretion always, or let somebody in your body, like, yeah, I get it. Understand discretion is important. You know, I'm not saying throw all that out the window, but to really allow yourself to love, to live, to enjoy your abundance, to enjoy your body, to enjoy your breath. You have to face your fear of death. You have to face your fear of losing the relationship. You have to face all of these, which are all different forms of annihilation and make peace with all annihilation. Yeah. And it's it's harder actually, the more you get in some ways, you know, in some ways like I sold on it and I have more abundance than I've ever had. I'm probably more stressed out and I've had to work like triple hard because the annihilation of all of my financial resources now is like, oh my god did i it was like there's self-judgment stacking on the how did you mc hammer all of this money away (laughs) yeah you know like how did you even manage that and like what i've gone through that cycle (laughs) i've gone through it's it's like it's very interesting and you think that you know oh now i never have to worry about it okay show me one person that's actually like that that gets a big gets a huge bunch of money and is like ha I'm fucking good now. I'm not going to be stressed out at all. It's very difficult. You have to still be willing to step through the jaws of annihilation. Yeah. And for me, it was, I I sold my first company in 2010 and we had a big equity event and um, I went through that cycle. And what's interesting is, is I feel, you know, safer today after, you know, all the ups and downs and losing. And so it's taken years of work. Um, to get there and so I, I resonate with what you're saying um, but the, the the magic is 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 getting to a place where you just feel safe in the world and also it, what's really been interesting in the last couple of years is we've, we, it, we we don't we still have challenging moments and have gone through really uh, difficult times where we question the relationship but we've been able to do it in a conscious way that I've never done before where the entire time instead of looking at it as like oh woe is me why am i going through why is this happening it's like okay what am i what am i supposed to be learning what's the lesson here what am i supposed to be learning so i can get back to to where i'm supposed to go and so just knowing the universe is benevolent and it's going to continue giving you curriculum but looking at it from that perspective like this this is a lesson and i'm meant to learn something so let's learn it mm-hmm. versus you know sticking my head in the sand or crying and laying in bed all day and just being like why is this happening yeah, so I think just bringing consciousness to those challenging times is also really valuable. I love a, a quote that Osho has, um, which is the most, uh, it's it's like the greatest gift, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, it's, it's the most profound gift to go through a breakdown consciously. Mm. And so I think for me, that feeling of safety within myself and within the universe was like very established when I met Benjamin. I was I had gone through this whole financial initiation. I had faced off with zero dollars. I'd faced all these existential fears around it and I was like good. It's like it doesn't actually matter what's in my bank account or I'm so I feel so connected to myself and so connected to to source. And I know I'm I'm 
always provided for and I can lean into the uncertainty fully. It's been a much bigger journey for me to lean into the, the certainty, actually. Like the, the uncertainty was like the comfort zone mm-hmm. at that point. The, the certainty of like, oh, we're doing this together and we're, we're on this path and we're building this life together and, and, and we've made that commitment and that agreement. That brought up so much curriculum for me because that feeling of like, oh, no matter what, I'm good kind of went away like there's a real part of me that knows that if benjamin died tomorrow like i would not be okay sure for in like a pretty significant way and if for like two weeks (laughs) (laughs) and and if you died or if something happened with you b would not be okay no we are so there's like a whole host of new responsibility absolutely and and that was the big fear right it's a paradox because because also in the work is is wouldn't be okay, would never be the same, and we would be okay. Of course. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, but I think to let yourself be so, it's like that, that, that part of me that wanted to be claimed, right? But then the fear of like, if I let myself fully be claimed, and then I fuck it up, or I change my mind, or whatever, like now I'm, now it's all like, be careful, that, that's don't the fuck risk, it up. Right? Don't fuck it up. <laughs> no, but, but so that's very real. And I think, um, there's something very almost beautifully humble to me to acknowledge that like I'm so interwoven with this other person that I really, I, I, I can't imagine right now what my life would look like without them. And I think that's humbling and beautiful. Who's yeah. them? Them? You. <laughs> <laughs> the multiplicity of being. The uh, part of, you know, part of, I think this process and part of what you lead people through in the book is like a clarification of yourself. And I think you talk about a big part of your own past and some of the things that formed you were, was this, you know, feeling of letting down your grandmother, Mm -hmm. like you let down your grandmother and you hurt her. I broke, I broke my promise. Yeah. Yeah. You broke a promise. And in your mind, you know, you you hurt someone that you love. So this idea that, and then that played out again in different relationships. You know, so this was this was like a big part of the fear. This was your this is your your own curriculum, your own thing. You know, and it was part until you know in uh, in Kabbalist mysticism they call it your hisaron, which is your unique shadow. You know, like the unique part of you that in overcoming that, which is that if I have all of this power really over somebody that i can trust myself not to hurt them yeah right like that was a big part of your journey to becoming and you know be yours was the big part of like can i feel worthy you know can i feel like i'm good enough you know in in this way and and i don't want to speak for your own he said even even deeper than that it's am i willing to risk feeling all the feelings that of heartbreak right that's really it's like mm. what you're leaning into is, is am i willing that's that's the crux of it is like am i willing to risk feeling you know in a financial situation you could say the same thing like am i willing to go all in on this investment because it matters so much to me that i'm willing to risk like starting over am i willing to risk you know feeling heartbroken and so and really those are the that's the real risk but i would guess that i would say that the risk is the reason it's even a risk is because there's some part of you that associates your worth with it whatever that thing is and so if that thing goes away 
yeah. as you it, said, like mm -hmm. then then the insecurity or the lack of self-worth is really something you have to confront, right? It goes back to the scared little boy that needs external validation. And so if all of a sudden, you know, yeah, and that, it, a big reason, I've never had a girl break up with me. I've broken up with every woman I've ever been with because I would never let them get close, <laughs> right? Like yeah, if, if it was, I, I was like, I'm, I'm out of here. I broke I up with you. you. <laughs> <laughs> right? You ain't breaking up with me. Yeah. So, um, but it was a real, it was a defense mechanism really, right? And so, yeah, I resonate with that. The, um, in this, in this clarification of, of your own core stuff, it's, you know, you can sometimes get a little too lost in the stories, but it's also helpful. And I think, you know, this is a, this is a process that I, I didn't know how to lineage. You think about this and like, oh yeah, they talk about it in gene keys. You know, you're, you go through your unique challenge and then you get to your city, which is your unique potential. Well, shit, they've been talking about this in, in like religious traditions and particularly this tradition for a long time. Like you're going into, going into your shadow and then finding the, the Torah and the mitzvah, which is how they used it. And I'm just fresh off reading all this shit. So I'm going to, flex my flex my terminology but the torah is the knowledge this is like this is the knowledge like what what knowledge do you need you know to to actually help you address this and then the mitzvah what practice do you need to help you overcome it help you heal this because as they say like it's actually not just us we're healing it for as we are representative of the divine we are the divine incarnate the divine does not have a body without us as the divine incarnate us healing our hisaron, us healing this is actually healing the divine in this really beautiful way. Like we're healing, and of course you can say it's the collective, but it's healing, it's healing something very important. You know, and, and I think, yes, of course, you say, oh, it's all perfect no matter what, but there's there's we're part, we're here to continue to move and grow and evolve. And and this process of like going in, finding it, and finding the finding the the knowledge and then the practice and which brings me to the mitzvah part of it being the practice or the ritual or that it seems like and this was one of the initial questions that came up like is there an annihilation practice like if you're going into this because this seems like one of the most important things like getting to a state where and ayahuasca will typically do this you know it's definitely a huge assist but Beyond that, that's let's just let's leave that aside for now. Is there a practice to deal when you discover what your deepest fears are? To deal with them, you know, to like actually go in, you know. And I know the samurai and the Stoics, everybody had some strategies for this. But what would you guys say to somebody who's like, "I'm fucking tired of it. I'm tired of these things that I know I'm afraid of and I can't deal with them." Like, what are the things that people can do, and what that you guys have found helpful to deal with these things that you're scared of? Well, at the end of the book, we have the the five steps to embracing your shadow. And it's really this process of like, I think first and foremost, it's it's about creating a space to step into dialogue with these aspects of yourself. So I think, you know, for me, it's, and this is just what works for me, but it's, it's like the, the lens, A, the fundamental lens that like everything that's coming up, no matter how horrendous it might feel, is serving me on some level. Mm -hmm. That's part of the Torah. Right. right? That's part of the knowledge base. Exactly. Which is good. Yeah. And then the, for me, the way that that looks in practice is like a lot of times it's the emotion. If the emotion is there, to me, that's like, that's like the entry point into the work. So 
if if the emotion is triggered by something, uh, and especially if that emotion is something that feels familiar, right? Where where there's a certain like there's a pattern that I can recognize is present here that's deeper than just this one experience. Because how often do you get triggered by something? Or you have a fear come up or some some quote unquote unpleasant emotion, right? That That is where you're like, this situation doesn't warrant that reaction. Mm. This reaction is coming from something long ago and far away that sure. I haven't resolved, right? That's why I'm having such a strong reaction to this. So I think that like, the 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 perfect time is to to dive into that is when it's actually alive in your body. So for the way that it looks on a very practical level is like if something comes up, let's say between us where I feel something flood my system that feels like fear or contraction, I'll try and as quickly as possible just create spaciousness for myself where I'm by myself and I can sit down and I can go internal. And for me, the practice that's been most potent has been just starting to channel it through writing mm -hmm. um, or even just through expression, like through verbalizing it. And so it's like, what if this part of me could speak? This, this aspect of me that's coming forward and communicating with me through this emotional signature. What if I just let it speak? Because the knee-jerk reaction is to reject it and try and get back to the happy place, right? And I think that this is what's very confusing about the whole kind of positive thinking movement. Like we shouldn't have these negative emotions and if we do, we should just focus more on the positive, right? And that's kind of the opposite of what I found has really worked for yeah. me. It's like, no, if there's something there, then it's there for a reason. Like I want to, I need to dive into it and I need to give it the spaciousness it deserves. And a lot of times what I find is that when I open that dialogue and I let those emotions flow, sometimes they come out through screaming or crying or movement or words or sounds. Um, and sometimes it's more subtle than that. But when I let it communicate, it usually has some really profound gift to, to give to me, or it's, it's trying to you know, bring my awareness to something that is in my unconscious. So I don't know if that's practical enough, of, you know, yeah, in terms I mean, I of think, a practice. I think we're starting, I think we're starting to get there. I mean, what you're talking about is the, is, so the word Tantra is to expand. Mm -hmm. And I think like there's so much medicine in the expanding of a thing rather than the avoidance or contracting away from that thing. So these feelings, if we go into them, I think, and I think there's an intuitive intelligence that we have, like, I understand the doomsday scenario planning where you figure out how everything, all right, Bitcoin goes to zero, this investment goes to zero, every sudden, all of a sudden, and nobody loves me anymore and all my <laughs> abilities. And, and for some reason, even though I've always figured it out, I no longer am able to, and there it is, there it is. <laughs> it's all I figured it out and it's all fucked. I knew it all along. <laughs> but there's an intelligence to that because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create a reality very much like ayahuasca will do Anyways, well, the, ayahuasca has the ability to convince you to accept a certain situation. You your, know, like your worst case your worst, scenario. Your yeah. worst case scenario. Be like, here it is, and it's real. Oh, and you know, and like we're trying to almost be our own ayahuasca in a way, but we're not quite getting there enough because there's enough of our ra rational mind online, and there's other cues we can say like, ah, oh, well, that's probably not going to happen or whatever. But I think the instinct is right. Like we want to go and experience the annihilation so that we're no longer afraid of the annihilation. It's exposure and response therapy. And I haven't found another way. And actually, I, I actually tried to ask Peter Crone about this. So I was like, and, and it, we didn't even get to quite to the answer there. The problem is like with this exposure response therapy addressing of fear, it does work. But then you're constantly having to go into the worst case scenario 
all the time, which is an unpleasant exercise. But I think that I'll use for me as an example, um, I still have moments where I might go there. But when if you go there enough times, it 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 does it it loses its power. And mm-hmm. so I would say that it's not the same the first time you go there as the thousandth time, right? And so if you go there and you and you willingly like, okay, like let me feel this fully, right? Let me feel this fear fully, and instead, like uh, this is coming up. Let's go there. Let's let's actually like really go there instead of me thinking about this five seconds a day. Let's spend twenty minutes and let's map out worst case scenario. And go there. Another tool that I think is really powerful is is Tim Ferriss has this fear setting exercise that's really good, where you you write down all your fears, and then you go down and you say, okay, like what's the worst thing that could happen for all these fears around this particular subject, and then then you write down, okay, like if the worst case scenario happened, what could I do to what are the things I could do to prevent those things from happening, and then if the worst thing that I could think of happened, what could I do to repair it? after it happened and so really flushing it out but there's there's a lot of tools but i do agree with you that like unfortunately there's no shortcut like you have to actually when the fears come up you actually have to feel them fully but the more you do it the less they affect you and then eventually it gets to the point where like they don't affect you at all yeah um and it's it's a practice right it's not something that you just oh i did i'm done check the box right like it's a practice but for for the first time in my life, I feel like I've gotten there in many aspects of my life where I've, you know, and ayahuasca helped bring those fears to the surface because a lot of times our conscious mind, our ego protects us and doesn't let those fears come to the surface because they're too scary to feel. But ayahuasca just throws that out the one that says, you're a cute kid. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm gonna take you down, like, let's go there. And it takes you to the worst abysmal fears, brings them to the surface so you can feel them fully and transmute them. I think... So taking this, I think this is becoming really clear to me in this moment now, like, all right, let's, as we all know, ayahuasca, as much as we can know of being in an energy and in a a spirit of that magnitude, but but we at least trust her and trust that she's smart as hell in many ways knows what's best for us when we don't even know what's best for us. And what's her method? Well, she makes you feel it and feel it in such a tantrically expanded way that it's bursting out of every cell of your being, whether that's grief, whether that's guilt, whether that's fear, whether whatever the thing is, you feel it to such an extent that actually that's where the transcendence lies. And I think as far as the mitzvah for your fears, I think this consciously choosing to get yourself there, like go, go, go in so deep Go in so deep that you really get in there and do it. Like you really go all the way in. Cause I think you can go in a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then you're like microdosing fear all the time and you're never really, never really getting through that kind of breakthrough moment. But it seems like there's a real value in a practice that's created where you just go in and you're like, let's fucking go all the way in. Because every time I've done that, I remember the first time when I first was polyamorous and Whitney first had her first lover or first guy that she had sex with i was like a fucking wreck i was a wreck like and i would think about it and i would think about like a different position she was in like doggy style and i'd be like vomiting on the floor it was like bad i mean i wasn't like i thought i was cut out for it but i had a lot of work to do right it was really hard and then every different thought came in what if he spanked her oh my god she likes that oh fuck oh no 
and then I would vomit again and like want to cry. And it was like brutal. And then finally, I just sat after like eight hours of this, I was like, enough. Like, fucking, let's go. Let's go. All right. She was tied up in a horse barn <laughs> and she was being whipped with horse instruments and butt fucked and being, <laughs> and being fed slop out of a bowl. And she loved it and she just wanted more. And then I just started laughing. And I was like, that is so ridiculous mm. that like, I, like there was this big chuckle that emerged. And it's not like I, it's not like I purged the fear entirely. Of course, there's jealousy that still came up, but like by allowing myself to go so deep into this, and then I just started kind of like laughing. And there was, if of course, going down, it was hard, 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 hard. But there was a break, break moment where it was like, "That's ridiculous, bro." She was not in a horse stable. She probably just had fucking lovely sex. But what you did was you allowed yourself to feel it fully, and yep. most of the time, people repress it. They would numb themselves. What would people do? They go drinking, they they watch they Netflix. binge food, they yeah. watch Netflix, yeah. they do anything they can to actually feel it. They resist it. And what you did was the opposite. It was actually what you're supposed to do is actually just let it all come in, right? And let and feel it fully. And you know, we have the five steps at the end of the book, but the last step is really the and you know, something I'm certainly working on towards, but it's it's loving it. Is actually putting your arm around that part of yourself that's scared and insecure. And saying, you know, I, I actually fucking love you, and I see, I feel that fear. I let it come up, and and then you can get to the point where you start laughing at it. And mm -hmm. um, but the, the magic, it's there's no there's no magic pill. There's no easy way around. There's no there's no real quick solution. It's it's you have to allow yourself to feel it fully. And when I was actually, we were in a death portal. You know, we went and we talk about it in the book where we were really at one point we were questioning having a child, and. It, it appeared that our relationship was over. And I actually went and stayed at your ranch in Sedona. Um, nobody was there. And I, had, I was like, bro, like, I need a minute. Can I go stay at your place? And I stayed there for a couple of weeks. And what you just described is what I did. Like, I just, I was like, okay, like consciously, like not like looping, but more like I intentionally said, okay, I'm giving myself this period of time. I'm going to fucking go there. I'm going to imagine the worst case scenario of all of it, right? her with all these other men you know the relationship's over what does that look like everything we're building the becoming platform all of it's gone and i allowed myself to sit in that and feel it fully and i didn't resist just had an image of you being like a baton twirler in a cock parade <laughs> <laughs> just leading just leading oh a group <laughs> full of men stroking themselves and naked twirling a baton into the air come with me cock parade here we go yeah but but that i was able to come out of that you know and and really like there was no feeling that i resisted yeah. and i think that is, describes what you went through i would i would just just jump in here and say like it it that's alchemy yeah. right like yeah. the, isn't and not that i know much about like the world of the quantum but my understanding is that when when an experiment is observed just through observation the act of seeing the experiment changes the outcome at, at on the quantum level right and so it's the same with our with our internal state like if we see it and we witness it with our awareness we shine that that light of our awareness into those crevices of our of our fears our insecurities our, our subconscious it is not the same on the other side. Mm -hmm. It has to alchemize into something new. Now, it might not happen in one sitting, right? Some things 
we chew on for years and years until we kind of move through I the other side. I think that's because we don't get to the alchemy. But that's, be- but, but that's right, because we don't allow ourselves to go all the way. Yeah, like the moment the alchemy occurs, the moment you reach acceptance, surrender, or ultimately laughter, like the humor in Absolutely. it. Like the moment where I laughed that was, was the, the moment where it, it shattered this fucking nightmare that I was yeah. in. All of a sudden, this nightmare was so real, and I could feel it in every cell of my body, and then I was like, and, and then the horse, you know, the, the pig slop came in, and I was like, Come on, bro. Yeah. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and then at that point it was like like it broke like like black glass, like obsidian just shattering, and all of a sudden I was liberated from that. But yeah, that fucking it's about like that moment. And there's many different ways. Sometimes you won't get to laughter or smile or anything, but just that acceptance, that moment you feel the peace, you've actually changed, you've changed the thing entirely. That lead has become maybe not gold, but at least not at least a less heavy lead. Maybe like an iron or something, you know, don't always have to be right to gold right away. Yeah. But, uh, but that's like the, that's the big, that's if like we could just learn that lesson, like this is, this is creating freedom. You know, this is really like creating freedom. Another quote, another quote, which I loved that you guys put in the book was fear is just excitement without breath. And that's from Fritz Pearl. And that's another great thing as far as a mitzvah, like, breathe 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 like that's a fucking great i mean this quote makes a lot of sense from a mythopoetic standpoint like yeah yeah it's beautifully poetic but also straight up instructional it's so instructional (laughs) you know like breathe yeah breathe go like go for it yeah you know start breathing start deep breathe like allow yourself to to move that energy with your breath or dance or whatever but it's fucking good advice yeah breath is so underrated like we 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 don't we barely and I myself included like begin to scratch the surface of the power of our breath and the technology of our breath and it's it's like um, the medicine often brings me to that place and allows me to realize that I stop breathing like I a lot of times in medicine when the, especially when it's intense I'll go into visionary states or like you know really like start feeling like I'm being catapulted out of my body into like the the multiverse and it's really intense and my ego mm-hmm. is like clinging and just kind of trying to like control it and steer the ship and um and then i just hear that voice like breathe and the yeah. moment i i re- re- first of all i wasn't even aware i stopped breathing but when i when i when i let that breath come in again it's like the whole experience transforms and I, that's what i love so much about med- the medicine and particularly ayahuasca is it gives you that instant feedback mechanism of like yeah. how potent the breath really is in terms of alchemizing energy in your body and uh it's where all of your real and i don't like the word control but your real mastery over your experience lies mm-hmm. and yet it's the the thing that's hidden in plain sight that we take the most for granted yeah yeah so there's another thing that facilitates a lot of fear and that's our attachment obviously you know an attachment and you guys talk about this and this is something i've really been trying to meditate on as well understanding that the fundamental nature of the cosmos that we are in a cosmoerotic universe and that desire and attraction is a part of our universe so the buddhist idea of let me just get rid of desire you know like like naval says the desire which is probably parroted from a million buddhist things but Desire is a contract with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want. You know, all of these ideas like let's remove, let's remove ourselves from desire so that we can remove ourselves from unattachment. I don't 
one, it, it may be a useful strategy, but it feels like it's missing something very important about life itself. That desire is an in, like it's inherent. It, it's an intrinsic part of life, right? Yeah, like we like so this idea of removing yourself from it doesn't make sense. But attachment is brutal. You know, that can be really difficult because then you're just afraid of not getting it, and even when you do get it, it's just like you're then a, a, attached. It's not even that exciting because you've been in this relationship, and then you're afraid of losing it. So the idea of allowing yourself full desire with minimal attachment you know like that's something that's like a real art to navigating life because that's that's what's giving us freedom so in your own process like what do you guys think is are some of the keys to allow yourself the full scope of desire so not pretending that you don't radically crave each other and want to run giant like the old sprite commercial with with the the lime and the lemon and embrace each other in this erotic desire like of course but without you know without the the toxic levels of attachment which bring in the levels of fear and all of these things do you guys have personal strategies do you think about that in those terms i know you talk about attachment a bit in the uh in the book as well And, and like what your strategies are and i'll share what i've the only solution that i've come to as well well, for those of you familiar with the gene keys, and this was very helpful for me when we were going through this process, our, our death portals as we call them, but um, I have, and maybe I give a two second background on what the gene keys is, might just sure. be helpful. Um, kind of similar to astrology in the sense that you plug in your birth information and you get a chart, which is unique to you. And then you can buy the book and you can really go deep into what the different keys in your particular chart mean. But these are essentially proclivities that you're born with and and from a genetic perspective, but they're really like relevant for your psycho-spiritual and emotional experience of being human in this lifetime. And, um, it was really interesting for me to look at my chart during this time because I was, again, like grappling with this idea of polyamory versus monogamy or like, not that those were even necessarily words that were the right fit for what I was exploring in myself, but I was like, I don't know if I believe in conventional relationship structures mm-hmm. because I also feel that like, you know, I, I guess I had had so many visceral experiences specifically in medicine space where the answer was just like, it's love. Like it's just pure love. So the question I was sitting with was, well, if that's our highest expression as as beings, is to just be in a state of pure love and to know that we are safe and held and loved by life, why do we need to control things? Why do we need to say, oh, you can't be with this person or, you know, what is, is that, isn't that just fear running the ship? Like that was my exploration. And, but of course, there's also desire mixed into that, right? My own desires to have experiences and, like I said, taste the rainbow and, 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 ex- and explore parts of myself that I hadn't been able to yet. So the Gene Keys chart illuminated that I have double desire in my, in my chart and desire is the shadow. So every key has three expressions of the same key, the shadow, the gift, and the siddhi. This, the gift is like the that the the one that's probably the most practical that you can work with, and then the the seed he is the highest expression, like more of the enlightened expression of that same energy. So desire is the shadow, lightness, which comes back to humor, is the gift, and then rapture is the seed he. So the way they talk about it in in the jinkies, and this was super applicable to me, um, was that I guess similar to Buddhist philosophy, like this idea that desire isn't something that we can get rid of 
it's it's not it's an intrinsic and innate part part of being a human being but it is also a dead end in the sense that the desire will never be satiated no matter how many experiences you have no matter how much you explore like that desire will always remain and so that transforms when you bring the humor into the situation and you realize like this is actually hilarious like <laughs> i'm actually like i'm in this loop with myself where i'm constantly trying to fill something that was never designed to be filled and when you it's finally insatiable by its very nature exactly because it's god because it's, it's God, God desiring God. And it, in the Gene Keys, it describes it as the genetic hunger for experience itself. Like that's what, what really fuels all of, all, of, um, all of the desire. And when you realize that, then you can liberate yourself from this idea that there's something that will fill it. And that is when it turns into, into the gift. So there's this alchemical process that happens where you sort of throw your hands up and surrender and you laugh at yourself and you go, holy shit, this is hilarious. Like I'm just fucked. Like I'm screwed. I'm always going to have desire. And so desire must be felt, but it doesn't necessarily need to be acted on, right? Like if, if I'm in a monogamous relationship and I have an attraction toward another person and me acting on that desire is going to implode my current relationship, that's probably not a useful expression of my desire. But can I take that energy instead of making it wrong and shaming myself for it, can I like integrate it and work with it and realize it's all just energy? So I could take that energy and I could potentially even like turn that back into my relationship and, and bring it into my relationship, right? As an example, mm -hmm. and, and we've viscerally experienced that with um, bringing a woman into our container where it was like the attraction and the desire we felt both felt for this other person actually strengthened and fueled our connection. So it was a way for us to play with that. Now, of course, in the other direction, it's a lot because Benjamin isn't attracted to men and that's just a hard no for him. I had to really face off with that part of myself that was like, well, I'm not feeling this now. There's no one I'm attracted to or wanting to, you know, connect with. But since I'm being asked to make a lifelong commitment, like I got to face off with this part of myself Who that- Who knows if you want to be the baton twirler right? in the top Maybe break. I want to be the baton twirler. <laughs> uh, so, so like that was, I feel like what a lot of my process was around was really like not just looking at the external thing of like, oh, this, this potential of like another man, but really looking at desire itself as a root, as the root of all of it. Mm -hmm. And for me, that tool of lightness, the practice of lightness, of laughing at the, the, the paradoxical nature of the human existence was a very powerful way for me to alchemize the fear that I had encasing my desire and, uh, and start to liberate myself from it. Mm -hmm. I'll answer the question a little differently. So for me, um, when I look at desire and the shadow aspect of desire um it, within myself and when i when i kind of i've never thought about it but when you ask the question i reflected on 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 where i'm at with my relationship to desire and it's very different today than it was even a few years ago and i think it for me it's been healing the core wound right that scared little boy that couldn't read that feels insecure that need external validation and so a lot of my desires were fueled by the need for external validation. And so I'm not addressing the shadow aspect of my relationship with desire directly, but the way in which I've shifted it, where like now um, when I desire something, it doesn't feel like I'm in the shadow aspect of it because if I don't get it, um, there's not that attachment to it. And the, the way that's being healed is through the deeper work of that, 
the addressing that issue with the scared little boy, right? Sure. And so going deeper. And so I'm not really trying to be unattached. What I'm doing is trying to feel whole, and then the attachment just kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love Peter Crone's quote: "You know, being totally, fully committed to something and simultaneously unattached." Uh, and so that, that was a real theme for me um, last year, actually 2020. Um, but I dealt with it in kind of a circuitous route, right? I, I dealt with it by 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 healing that wounded little boy that needed that external validation and as that kind of lifted all of a sudden yes i have desires um but there's not attachment to it so i'm not in the shadow expression of that desire yeah i mean i I think one of the ways that i've that i've dealt with it personally historically which i'm trying to again challenge and rewrite all right here's how you deal with desire don't care Mm, don't care don't care you know like yeah if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't i did i've done that with everything and it is a very useful strategy. Like, mm. am I going to be a New York Times bestseller? Ah, either way. So I removed myself from the desiring of it. And I removed myself also from the joy of it. I got the news. I took a deep breath. And I was like, all right, let's go out to eat. And I bought my friend some dinner. And you know, I had maybe a moment. But Well, that's the Tantra path. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's the way of like, let me let me pretend that I don't really want this. And I'll catch myself doing that with a variety of different things where there's this feeling of excitement coming up and I'm like, don't you do it. So when you say pretend, do you mean I practice that by emotionally? It's been, it's been a bit of a subconscious process, but mm-hmm. if I'm looking back now with greater clarity and, and some understanding about how desire, as you said, is inescapable, and there's a humor in that, which I think is, is beautiful in that teaching. But I've been doing that all along like even when what no matter what good thing happens you know like i don't let myself get too high and because i want to buffer myself from the potential disappointment Mm. so my strategy with attachment is to not care not Mm. desire it but it it's also a little bit false because i do deeply desire it and i still do get crushed but i just don't get the positive side and maybe i mitigate some of the negative side but what i'm trying to shift this to and i believe will be successful is instead of not caring know that what i'm actually craving what i'm desiring is desire itself Mm -hmm. and that the desire itself is where the magic is anyways because even when you get that thing it's never as good as what you the buildup was anyways right so the the crave the desire itself let's say desire is the end goal you know like desire lishma is the is the Hebrew word, like for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Desire for its own sake. You're craving something, whether it's a, a partner, you know, a potential lover, a business deal going well, money, uh, you know, some kind of thing going happen, your book selling a million copies. Like the desire isn't linked to the thing actually happening. So you you uncouple it from the thing happening and say, let's fucking feel it. Let's feel what that desire is. Let's feel that all the way and know that the desire is what you're actually going for anyways. Mm. And that you've reaped the reward whether or not you get the thing or not. And it's like a tricky, it's a tricky and interesting little move. And this is like, again, a lot of this stuff is like two weeks fresh. And Mm. so this is my first podcast. I've been away in Miami. haven't done any fucking podcasts. So I'm like working out my new thought (laughs) patterns here. And I appreciate you guys like being on this journey with me as, as, you know, as my family. 
but yeah, like I'm really interested in putting desire at the top of the putting desire at the top of the list of goals, way above the actualization of the things that I desire, but say, can I get into a state of desire? Because that feels good and not be scared, not be scared that if I'm in a state of desire, that's going to mean that if I don't get what I desire, I'm going to be suffering even worse. So the only thing then that I'm attached to is desiring itself. Mm. I become attached to, de- to being a vessel of desire. And then at that, though, well, that's pretty safe. That's actually really safe. I'm always going to want shit. You know? <laughs> so like, I'm actually safe. Then for the first time in my life, I'm safe and I get to reap the, the bliss of the whole thing. Sometimes I am going to actually get the thing. Sometimes I'm not. But it doesn't matter because I'm going to have the full joy of the, of the desiring and of the, of the craving. And like some part of me is like really excited to then add, okay, this is my Torah. This is my knowledge. All right, what's my practice? Can I put it into practice? Can I think of that thing and not shy away and be like, yeah, you know, if it works out, you know, great. If it doesn't, you know, great. It's all fine, which never was really true mm. ultimately. But what's really true is like, hell yeah, I fucking want that. I want that bad. Like I really want that, mm. you know? And I think that's uh that's like a more exciting and colorful life that uh that I want to paint, you know, I want to hold that paintbrush and just be like, go for it, man. Just don't worry about whether you get it. You know, just but like go for the desire itself. Yeah. It's a really interesting perspective. I like that lens a lot. And because really what you're talking about is making love to what is present, which is your desire. Right. Right. So it actually brings you into the present moment, which is where all the bliss is anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's a really great book that came to mind that I just finished that might be interesting for you to read called The Molecule of More. It's uh, basically a neuroscience book, but it talks about dopamine. The mm-hmm. whole book is about dopamine. And it just gives you like this really comprehensive understanding of dopamine and how it works and how so much of how we're wired in our culture, especially in this Western culture, in this you know American society where it's like all about bigger, better, growth mind mindset, you know, and which totally applies to the spiritual and consciousness journey as well. Uh, From a, from a neurochemical perspective, it's really interesting to understand dopamine because dopamine is essentially the, the molecule that has you fantasize about the future. It's Mm. always about that, which has not yet occurred, the possibility. And it's this powerful chemical force that pushes you perpetually to achieve things that you haven't yet achieved. But it's not a molecule that knows satiation or fulfillment. And so from a biochemical perspective, like it's even interesting to look at how we become addicted to our own biochemistry. Of course. right? Like that feeling of craving something is in and of itself a high. Mm-hmm. But you can actively also nurture the the opposite of that, which is the here and now molecules, which is like serotonin and... Um, What's the other one? Uh, ox- oxytocin. Oxytocin. Um, Usually from contact. Or right. Yeah. So like cuddling or like things that bring you into the present moment, listening to music, like things that are happening right now that aren't about the future at all, they release these other hormones. And so for me, reading that book was really interesting because I, I was like, oh, I can actually feel now when the different hormones are flooding my body, mm-hmm. like when these molecules are active or not. And then also I have more conscious choice in how much do I want to give these molecules power over my experience, Right. you know? Do I right. want to keep pumping the 
like pressing the dopamine lever over and over and over again, like the rat in the cage with the <laughs> with the cocaine? Or mm-hmm. do I want to like actually stop all that and just like take that big deep breath and realize the beauty of what's all around yeah. me? And there, I think there's a there's a way, you know, Mark Gaffney, who's you know become a, become a teacher, he talks about the difference between desire and pseudo desire, mm-hmm. and pseudo desire are the the kind of the ways in which the separate self is seeking desire. So there's a clarification of your desires. And so the the quick dopamine hits of your phone, of your followers, of your bank account, of all of that, which is inherently seeking satiation. It's like itself seeking satiation is would be pseudo, would be pseudo desire, pseudo eros, or the way that you which you reach to a substance which is actually giving you something or whether it's cocaine or nicotine or whatever that thing is that you're reaching for, you're tr- you're actually in trying to satiate the insatiable with because the separate self can't be satiated so like true desire true desire if you really clarified it i suppose comes from the part of you that is in rapture with the present moment right like really in rapturous presence and then so you would be satiating all of the other aspects as well so i guess as i'm working through this live there's it's also very important to clarify like all right what and what am i desiring you know, before I go all the way in there, because if I'm, if I'm going into the desire from the perspective of the separate self, it's just going to be a pseudo desire. It's not going to be, I'm in the satiation of the thing, but if I'm in as my, my true self, my unique self, if I go into that and, and really understand what I'm desiring and, and, and the I that is desiring, the I am desiring rather than the ego, which is more, I am not, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm in lack then then i think you can be deeply craving this moment like in this moment we could just be craving this desiring this conversation or in that moment where you're on mushrooms and laughing it's like you're not craving anything else or when you're making love that's the beauty of it right is like in those moments desire is at maximum but satiation is at full you know which is like those are those are those god moments really that really resonates yeah and what you're talking about is really bringing a, a higher level of awareness and consciousness to the desire because the desire desires like we said never going away and so the more awareness the more consciousness you can bring to that energy um the more that you can navigate it intentionally versus it navigating you yeah and we in the in the becoming definition um it's a there's multiple pieces to it but the, but the last portion is savoring the full spectrum of life and that's that word savoring came to mind when you were talking about the craving and the savoring right and, and can, mm-hmm. can they kind of happen almost simultaneously right because what you're describing in that rapture state which also happens to be the cd of the jinky mm-hmm. uh is you i feel like you actually shift from craving to savoring yeah yeah right and so in some ways it almost that's where desire goes away Yeah, and that's and that's ultimately what this trick is kind of doing is if you're if you're desiring desire and you're feeling desire then you're satiating your desire actually yeah if you desire desire you satiate desire you, you then you're in the savoring of your desire and then all of a sudden you're out of the loop exactly you like you break the cycle totally interesting yes think we figured some shit out i think we've gone we've gotten somewhere very productive good job (laughs) putting savoring in the definition of becoming um this this part about bringing in another lover into your container is and i know we talked about it a little bit on the podcast advice we don't need to go that there i think there's something there's an interesting pattern that i've seen in a lot of the relationships that i admire 
And I don't know, I don't like to make generalities because there's not, to be quite honest, there's not a lot of relationships that I admire. But there's, in all of these relationships that I admire, there's a flexibility to the logos, to the law of the relationship. There's like an inherent flexibility and everybody has their own different ways. For me, polyamory, if you couldn't tell from my story about crawling around vomiting in every different moment was a little much for me. And I never quite, it was, it bested me. As much as I enjoyed many aspects on the positive side, I can honestly say that for eight years, I gave it everything I got, used every tool I could, and it was, it was bigger than me and I couldn't hold it. I listened to a lot of your podcasts over those <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like a whole world did. So it got to the end. People were like, just stop talking about it already. <laughs> like, I can't. I can't. Um, <laughs> it was, that was too much. But the, this, I think, re-understanding and reclaiming for our own self what our own bounds are and what the freedom and flexibility is, which requires sometimes pissing people off around you who like to want to reinforce this same belief because the belief that something could be different might be too much for them to hold because they crave they crave something so much that if like if they hear that something else could be possible like they want to destroy it they want to murder that type of thing and denigrate it and slander it and make it so that it can't be and it's not right but i think it's a, it's a denial of our inherent desires i think there's desires it doesn't as you said doesn't mean you have to act on them but the flexibility to accommodate the desires that are in there with that, not even accommodate, to accept the desire, whether you act on them or not. And then having flexibility of not rigid boundaries, but like, is this additive? Is this accretive to our, to our union or is this not? It seems to be like a defining characteristic of the relationships that I admire. And this could be on either side. You know, this doesn't have to be like, you know, you get extra girls in here or extra men in here or whatever but it, it seems like that's a that's a key characteristic and i and i don't think that's the that's the nature for everyone but i think it's it's interesting that i've noticed this pattern of like letting claiming the relationship uniquely and then allowing the space for things to be more fluid as kind of a pattern i think um, i think the where I would kind of take it is I'm not sure that I would necessarily look at it that way as it relates to our relationship. But what I would say is, is that, you know, when we got married, legally married, you know, I gave one vow, you know, to be true to you, to spirit, to Gaia, to myself above all. And I think in our relationship, there's been this, like, like I know that she will never, one thing I know is she'll never lie to me. Mm -hmm. um not even about like a facts about what she's feeling and so there's so much trust in this relationship and so the the reason that we feel safe bringing say another woman into the container is because we both know that we're always being authentic with what we're feeling and if if anything's out of resonance um we'll adjust and so the flexibility that you talk of is available because there's trust that radical we will be trust. radical trust that we'll be truthful with each other about what we're feeling mm -hmm. even even maybe even most importantly when it when we know it's going to hurt the other person mm -hmm. and so there's this willingness to just be like this is what i'm feeling i'm going to share it even though i know this is 
the last thing you want to hear or it's going to hurt you or whatever. And so because of that, there's just this level of trust that we can move forward into something. And if there's anything out of residence, the other, we're going to stop, we're going to pause, we're going to say, where are you at? And so because there's that level of trust that we can lean into anything, really. Yeah, I think that's, I think maybe then this is what I'm talking about. The flexibility is actually a byproduct of trust. Like, like yeah. that's, this is actually the defining characteristic. And then when the substrate of trust is there, cause I agree, like that's the most important thing. And I think polyamory for me really highlighted that like the slightest withhold, a 12% withhold was magnified to a thousand percent destructive force, yeah. you know, like a hundred times, you know, multiplier of like you didn't really tell me what you were feeling and I could fucking sense it. And now let, now let's get the real truth. And it was close, but not exactly it. And then that would just be devastating, you know, because there was so much pressure on it. But I think, yeah, if you develop this sense of just absolute, absolute trust in each other, then from there, then from there, I think again, safety and freedom. Then from that place of safety, the place of safety of trust, even if it hurts a little while to start, you have so much safety that there's like, yeah, well, let's be free to the extent that we're still feeling it. The other thing I'd, I guess I'd speak into is um, what we just talked about was was being truthful to each other. But then the other, the piece of that is we, we, we use the, the term in the book, the tr- our truest truth, but then also doing the work to to know yourself well enough to have discernment over what what is really true what is your real truth because a lot of times we don't know what our real truth is and it's 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 muddled and murky because of programming of society expectations of all the things and so that there's also the individual work is required to like to 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 be in touch with yourself to know yourself so well and to have a, a clean vessel to where when something comes up, you can feel it before it's even, you might even intellectually understand it yet, but to be so in tune with what you're feeling that you can be like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm feeling this, I have a feeling that's coming up. And 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 so I, we, we say that like, there's the intellectual knowing and then there's the, the deeper knowing, right? That you know in every cell, the gnosis, right? Mm-hmm. And, when you're when you're tapped into yourself and you can really tune into what your real truth is um that's that might sound easy but it, it takes practice and m- maturity and and discernment to really tap into that to be able to, to to share what's true with your partner um you have to know what's true and that's not always as easy as it sounds no because you have to know who you are that's desiring it right that's the i think that's the tricky part too whether you're desiring and then the identity of self that's desiring it is it a pseudo desire or is it an authentic is it an authentic true self desire you know and those are and of course what does the pseudo self do what does the ego do it tries to trick you into believing that it's it's the true self like this is for divine codes that are going to be you know spread for the world of course and you're like fuck yeah it is that's right and then this is what i desire and it's for the good of all and meanwhile like the ego's like ha 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 got him again (laughs) yeah you know for sure it's tricky it's very tricky it requires tremendous awareness and i think that's the puzzle piece to all of this is awareness you know 
your ability to deepen in relationship is directly connected to your ability to know who you really are because you're bringing yourself into the container of the union only to the degree that you can, right? And certainly your partner will illuminate parts of you that you can't see, and then you're going to see more of yourself, some parts you won't like. But I think for me, the biggest thing was like, the trust could only grow to the degree to which I felt like I could bring all of myself. So like the part of me that was questioning monogamy was a part of myself that was confusing. And as Benjamin said earlier, threatening to the relationship. So of course, the natural kind of inclination would be to just say, well, let's just pretend like she doesn't exist because she's really inconvenient right now, right? Like she's really, I have this beautiful love, I have this beautiful really life. Really inconvenient. Like really fucking <laughs> inconvenient. But she's a part of me. And so then if I can bring her forward and I can put her on the table and I can say, hey, I don't know what to do with this. And I know this is going to trigger like all of your stuff, but this is what it is. And I need to be honest with you that this is there. You know, he took space to process that and he went through a process, but he came home and he was like, I'm still here. And mm. so just the fact that I was able to bring that part of me forward and still feel his love and have him not reject me and have him not run away, but to say like that part of me gets to be included too, that built a whole nother layer of trust and yeah. of depth. And as Marianne Williamson says, uh, we can't really know someone until we've seen their shadow. We can't really love someone until we've seen their shadow and forgiven it. And I think that's such a beautiful truth. It's like maybe the, the real magic sauce of lasting relationship is like the willingness to bring your shadow forward and take ownership for it and love each other through through it. Yeah, and, and the willingness. I thought there was a really potent story you guys share where in one of your death portal situations, um, you guys, were, I think it was in Tulum at the beach, but ultimately you had to think about whether or not you wanted to bring a baby into the world. Mm -hmm. And and this was really, you know, you'd already been through that chapter. You were like, I don't think I'm feeling this. I don't think I want another run at this. And no, it wasn't, I don't think it was a full <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> it, was, it was like a vasectomy 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, we're done. We're done. And you went off to the beach to clear your mind, to understand like where, like what was going on. And you knew that there was an answer that he really wanted to hear. And you love this man deeply. And there was an answer he really wanted to hear. And you took a long time knowing that probably even though B's not the most anxious guy from everything I know, it's, it's tough. You know, you're just waiting in there and you're going for it. I'm sure. And she yeah. knows that, but she took her time. You took your time. And then you came back and you're like, I'm still not sure, you know, and that's like a ballsy, that's a ballsy move and that's a beautiful move. And that's like, that's what makes, those are like the epic, courageous, heroic things that like, that, that make for an epic, an epic love, you know? And, and I really want to just acknowledge like reading that was like, that's fucking dope, you know, because it'd been really easy to go a different way. And there's lots of these, lots of these little mini moments, even from that very first one, like, acknowledging like man two weeks in that blindfold and, and bed move like it's fucking dope like that's a that is a that is an og move for sure but there's countless moments and stories that you guys tell where because you're allowing us to see you like really like see into you and instead of telling us what's you know what you've learned but letting us see in we can find these things these little pieces that say like wow that's fucking dope that's a good 
that's a good lighthouse for me in my own stormy waters. Like take as much time as I need and come back and tell the truth, you know, no matter what. And there's just countless amounts of those. Mm, yeah. Thank you, brother. Mm -hmm. I think that one specifically is really interesting because it's been relevant for us. Um, I think often we, when we're in a position where we have a tough decision to make or we want to figure something out, there's this real urgency to like come to an answer and like, let me talk to a counselor. Let me talk to a friend. Let me, what do I have to do? Let me go to a tarot card reader. Like what, what yeah. do I do to get to an answer? And I think we've recently, or through the work that we've done is, is also like giving yourself permission to what, what is, is what is, is I don't know. Mm. And letting that be okay for a while and being like, I don't know. And at some point I might know, but take the pressure off of needing to know. And we've gone through that. And so when you say like, when she came back to me, it was like, I, I, I just don't know. That's come up for us in other decisions, whether to remodel our house or to do the retreat center or whatever. And it's like, let it be okay that you don't know mm. until you do. And that was, we've really, Peter Crone actually helped us through that once when we were like in, a, in it about the thing. And he's like, so you guys don't know. All you have to do is like make peace with the fact that you don't know. Mm. I was like, shit, that's <laughs> fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many times those brilliant things are. But that's, that's something that's really important for people to hear. We're always so solution oriented. We want to get to the solution. Our mind feels uneasy with the unknown. And so until it's known, we'll scramble and we'll iterate and we'll, we'll go through it. But making peace with the moments of the unknown, if we can't do that, we're not going to enjoy anything because we'll be scrambling from one known, which is all bullshit anyways. We don't actually yeah. hardly ever know. We I mean, that's the beautiful times. joke of all of it, right? It's like yeah. the unknown is actually all there is. Right, right. I love you guys. Uh, love you too, brother. It's such an honor to be here, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think... Uh, that this podcast is going to be released in the same the, mm -hmm. the day after our, our book launch, which feels of all the podcasts that we could do, you know, you know, to to release this one uh, with our book just feels so true based on the relationship and and you saw us in a way before really anyone did, and um, it was like we knew what we were up to we knew where we were going but like we'd spent three years just creating and creating we were behind the scenes and kind of, we call them the hidden years of just like and you immediately saw us and um yeah it feels so fitting to be launching the book and the brand and all the things with 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 this podcast yeah yeah well it's an honor it's an honor i learned mm -hmm. i learned from you guys all the time right from the right from the drop you know i was learning different things yeah, it's either a full fuck yes or it's a no. And I'm like, what do you even mean? <laughs> what fucking nonsense does this guy speak? But somehow I knew it was true. And I respected that a lot. And there's been countless other things that I've learned from both of you. And uh, and today is no exception to that. Uh -huh. uh, book is Becoming with a Q. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming.me. Is that right? Correct. That's that's the URL. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we'll uh, we'll make a custom link for for your audience. Cool. So, so we'll put be, that uh if you listen just a moment longer, we'll put that in the in the wrap up notes. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you buy the book on the website, um we we'll, it's a some nicer print. It's got gold foil. Scratch and, and sniff, it's, the whole it's thing. All the thing. <laughs> uh, but we'll plant <laughs> a tree idea. for every book sold uh through the website. Beautiful. Um it's our way of reciprocity. Um yeah. So and, and you guys have an audio book too, which requires no trees but still gets the planted tree. Yeah, yeah. We have an audio Double book. Bonus. Azria read um, 
we, we, the, the book is three voices. So Asria speaks at times, I speak at times, and then there's a we. And so Asria performed the, the we in a British accent that is super sexy. Um, so it was really cool. And it was really, um, for, for the kid who couldn't read out loud and when the teacher would call on him, to, when, when the teacher would say, Johnny, start reading the first paragraph. And I knew she was gonna go around the room and ask mm -hmm. everyone to read a paragraph. I would like start dripping sweat. Um, and then to go full circle to actually read the audiobook um, was a feat. That was like, a ceremony. I never thought I'd, <laughs> I'd get there. It was, you know, as we would go in and, you know, fart out a chapter, like it was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like be a bumbling buffoon, you know, reading the same thing over and over again. Um, so it was, it was really special. And then we have bonus material where we interview the different people in the book. So it was really yeah. cool. Amazing, amazing. Well. I look forward to being a part, both stand by, standing on the sidelines, cheering you on and weaving in in, in all of the different ways to just yeah. continue to shine the light on beautiful offerings that you guys have. And, and really the biggest offering that you have is the embodiment, you know? I mean, oh. that's, the, that's the thing is you don't carry the work in a book. There's lots of people who can write a, write a cool book, but there's a far fewer amount of those people who are the living, the living word, mm -hmm. the living word that they that they print. So, you guys are that, and uh, and that's why you're family. And I love you. Love, love you too, too brother. brother. Thank you. And I just yeah. want to add, if you guys want to get, we 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 created something called the three stages of becoming, which you can you can get for free on our website if you sign up for our mailing list. And that's a real, pretty, like we put a lot of time, money, and energy into creating something really substantial there. So it's it's video content. It's more of our personal story. We've been documenting our journey for the last couple of years. And so, yeah, I would highly recommend grabbing that as well. And yeah, the and 30 we, stages of coming, erotic <laughs> fiction. <laughs> That's coming, coming later. later. <laughs> coming later. Beautiful. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Much love. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Benjamin and Azria Becker. If you're interested in their book, I encourage you guys to go to Amazon, check it out. You can buy the book available there now. And if you do and you want to support them as an author, I know how important it is to leave a review. So as soon as you dive in and start to get value from the book, please offer them a review as that really helps every author. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. I'll see you next week.